All right, all right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Warrior Mindset and Motivation Podcast. I am your host, Sergeant First Class Retired Eric Castillo here, and I'm also a life coach at Zimi Wellness Center and Indigenous Sovereignty. I'm going to have my guest here today, Ben Martin. He has a winery. Uh, I've heard that it's really great. I personally don't drink, but um, I know other people who are wine enthusiasts yeah. will will enjoy this podcast, and I'm excited for you guys to hear his story on how it started. Uh, he was in the Marines, so, you know, he he did the jarhead thing instead of coming to the Army. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, went to the you know, I'll give, them, I'll give him a pass just because yeah. he went that route. Hoorah, rah, however that goes, you know, devil yeah, dog. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, uh, Ben, if you want to go ahead and give uh, these no. guys, uh, people here listening, yeah. a little introduction yeah. about yourself, we'll go ahead. Yeah, so my name is Ben Martin. Uh, I was an E4 in the Marine Corps from 2002 to 2006. Uh, I signed up a week before 9-11, so I'd like to say that I'm a peacetime sign-up. <laughs> that's perfect. Changed well, my worldview and everybody else's worldview, that's for sure. Oh, I think we got there. No, there it goes. There it goes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, um, actually, I never thought I was going to join the Marine Corps. I, I, I had an affinity for the military as a kid. I always did. I, ever since I saw Top Gun as a kid, I thought, I was, yes, I'm going to the military. But um, I never thought I'd join the Marine Corps. That was that was a that was a surprise. I decided to do that. Um, I suppose the, the the catalyst for it was that I felt the out of all the different recruiters I saw, I, I talked to them all. The Marine Corps was the one that, that wasn't trying to sell me. You know, they weren't trying to say. We'll give you all these bonuses. We're gonna you're gonna promote the fastest. You're you're gonna get all these different things. They they came. I came in and they were like, you're gonna get promoted the slowest. You're gonna hate your life. The chow's the worst. You know <laughs> why are you even here? Get out of my office, sort of thing. And I it just resonated with me, and I I, I gravitated to that. So um, needless to say, yeah, I got out in 2006. Uh, I mean. 30,000 foot view. It was, it was kind of a, it was a rough transition at that time. There wasn't very much infrastructure for veterans getting out in 2006. Um, but you know, I found my way, um, during my enlistment though, I should, I should go. Picky pros again. Yeah. We got, we got, got you there. Okay, cool. Yeah. That was yeah, an amphibious assault vehicle. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi or not. Sometimes it has issues, but um, yeah. So I was an amphibious assault vehicle crewman, AAVs unique to the Marine Corps. It's kind of like the armored personnel carrier of the Marine Corps. I'd say the equivalent is the 113 APC out of the army. Uh, a little bit bigger though. Um, and I actually didn't know that MOS existed when I got, when I joined the Marine Corps, I actually wanted to be a tanker and a main battle tank. And the recruiter was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can get you tanks. Sure. And apparently in the Marine Corps, they separate tankers and Amtrackers, which is the term I, you know, Amtraks, um, by their swim qualification. And I was a good swimmer. I always have been a good swimmer. Uh, I was trying to impress my drill instructors in boot camp. I got, I got a good swim qual. And so all those guys go to tanks, all the guys that could swim go to Amtraks. And so um, I got to the schoolhouse not knowing what an Amtrak was, but... Um, 
I, I, I fell in love with the idea of Amphibious Assault just primarily because it was a service-defining MOS, and it was such a small MOS um, that it was really like a brotherhood. You know, we called ourselves kind of the biker gang of the Marine Corps, um, and I did, um, I did appreciate that for sure. Um, I do miss that camaraderie. I think that's a big piece that veterans miss when they EAS and separate is that camaraderie and that group collectiveness that that um, like that warrior mindset that mission mindset uh is definitely missing um but i you know i found i found like-minded veterans after i got out and that was a, that was probably one of my best coping me mechanisms that i had as a as a veteran was finding like-minded individuals to surround myself with basically right and that's important too because uh i mean especially when you got out in 2006 there wasn't really anything like they didn't really have services like yeah you can find resources sure but you had to like really really <clears throat> dig for those resources you had to really look for mm -hmm. them uh because i knew and i i mean at that time in 2006 yeah. i was actually coming back from my iraq uh on my second deployment and i a bunch of guys were getting out and then a bunch were coming in and it's like you they had to, there was no like they, what was it called at the time it was called um it wasn't called Cap. It wasn't called Soldiers for Life. It was called oh, uh, it was called ACAP, Army Career and Alumni Program, and it was like four days oh. or five days, okay. and then you were gone. You know, yeah. so like the, yeah, the yeah, shift yeah. Now that's exactly what it was. Now yeah. is, is is big, so they've made a lot of adjustments mm -hmm. to it. Um, yeah, and I know for you, um, when you were talking before, we were talking earlier that uh, you went to Iraq, and uh, what, what year did you go to Iraq again? I think it was around seven thousand yeah. Afghanistan. 2003, um, it was during is the invasion. I was an OIF one um, with uh -huh. uh, third, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. Um, you know, is that blitz up the middle of the Mesopotamia right into Baghdad? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely just go, go, go. Um, I, you know, Generation Kill, the book and the miniseries by HBO, I mean, I feel like is one of the best interpretations of that, um, that I've ever seen or read. Um, so I, I would recommend that to anybody that is into, um, I, I guess, modern day military history to catch up on those. But yeah, I was in the invasion. Then I did two more deployments out of uh, Southeast Asia with the 31st Mew, um, which is uh, like a part of a amphibious ready group, um, more or less kind of just patrolling in the AO, making sure uh, everything is kosher, you know. So um, that, that was a unique experience, too, because we had to be combat ready within 96 hours at any given moment so the tempo never stopped even though i did i got out of the iraq pump rotation um the, the tempo for those four years doing three deployments in four years was um was intense to say the least you know so that tempo right. actually carried with me and that momentum carried with me into the civilian life i found myself when i was transitioning that i had this urge to pick up and move my life every six to eight months and I couldn't really understand why, but then it was like it kind of really sunk in that that was my deployment rotation for the last like uh, four years. And mm -hmm. I, I, I just I had this idea or this urge to like uproot my life and do something drastic and probably wasn't the best coping mechanism. You know, it probably led to some toxic relationships here and there after I got out. And it took me a while to kind of really fully grasp that. But um, it, it was it was interesting to kind of reflect back on my military service and see that how that that tempo just continued to carry with me. And it still does to this day to some extent, but I'm very aware of it. And I'm able to, I guess, maybe use it to my advantage when I get that itch to like do something crazy. Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah. let's, let's, let's think about this before we get too drastic here. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so like when you uh, when you found out you were going to Iraq, and I know for me, um, <clears throat> I know my experience when uh, we went to Saudi Arabia first. I was like, okay, cool. We still got combat pay for that month, but it was Saudi Arabia. It was like not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And it was Air Force, you know, and to all the Air Force people watching, yes, you guys live luxury over there and and, and yeah. heaven forbid that if you got to come to an army or marine installation while you're deployed. But um, <laughs> when we went, when I went to Afghanistan and my thoughts were like, okay, this is, this is it now. Cause I always wanted a combat patch. You know, you didn't see them too often before 9-11. You saw the guys with yeah. Desert Storm who had them and my squad leader had one. So when I was there, I was like, okay, I'm a young kid, you know, here we go. And then when we land there in Afghanistan, our mission changes to go with uh, the Green Berets. And we're like, what the heck is going on? So like my, we weren't even ready for what we were yeah, doing. Yeah. Like it completely changed when we got there. So like everything we trained for literally was mm -hmm. thrown out the window, you know? Um, oh, so, so for you, like, what were your thoughts and feelings like before leaving? And then once boots hit the ground, and then I know, um, I don't know how long you spent there. I know I spent uh, just under nine months, my first two, and then the rest were 12. Um, yeah. What about you? What was your, like, before, during, and after thoughts, emotions, feelings about yeah. that when you were in Iraq? Yeah. Um, I guess we didn't really start talking about Iraq until I was at my um, – my, my school for Amtraks or AAVs. Um, nobody was really officially in the news or anything like that talking about an invasion of Iraq. It was kind of like this underlying murmur and this rumor that we were going to be invading Iraq. And our soon enough, like, you know, one or two months into the school, our instructors started, you know, prepping our mindset for Iraq and the desert. Um, we started doing a whole lot of like armor recognition for T-62s, T-55s, T-72s, all of that. Um, we started to pre prepare ourselves for like this major armor on armor engagement right at the border. You know, that, that's mm -hmm. what, the, there, was the, there was this kind of residual thought process of desert storm existing in, in, in the collective mindset of um, the training house and the training school and everything like that. And so uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess I was excited, but nervous, of course, at the same time. I was a 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid. And, of course, I think I'm invincible at that time. You know, I don't have any <laughs> aches like I do now. But um, <laughs> the the idea of entering into a major armor-on-armor -armor engagement, especially in an amphibious assault vehicle that's made of aluminum and barely has armor to withstand, you know, an <laughs> RPK, uh, you know, taking on T-62s and ZSUs and all these crazy exotic Russian vehicles was kind of intimidating, I mean, to say the least. But, you know, you get over that because you're with a great group of people and, you know, you know you have the Air Force above your head, you have uh, Cobras, you know, you've got a lot of ass behind you. So it's not that, you, you get over it pretty quickly. But um, when we got boots on the ground in Kuwait, you know, we're eight miles from the border, Camp Ripper, uh, we're supposedly one of the closest camps to the actual border. Um, it was literally just some GP tents out in the middle of the desert. It, like it, it was very, very mash like, you know, if I think back to it, so it's like, you know, we're just out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I do appreciate that experience though, because I'm a bit of a astronomer at heart. You know, I do. And the, 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 the sky viewing, the night viewing, oh. I don't think, I don't think I'll get that experience ever again in my life. You know, the no, zero it's light. so clear. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's wild to see the Milky Way from, from horizon to horizon. You know, I remember being <laughs> up at Firewatch at 3 a.m. with my rifle in the middle of the Kuwait, just like wondering, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and looking at my watch because I had two time settings, one for, you know, regular time and then one for uh, back home and seeing what my, you know, I'd always look and I wonder what my friends are doing. I'm out here in freaking Kuwait, 3 a.m. looking at the Milky Way. So, um, you know, when we got boots on the ground, we started getting all of our vehicles and the vehicles were coming off these large barges that would just float at sea, you know, all this equipment that just kind of floats at sea ready for an invasion. And we were getting the, like, one of the first or second generation Amtrak model types when we had been training on the most recent type. And so it was a little disheartening to see that, you know, I trained on the modern day, you know, Amtrak with the Bradley suspension system and everything like that. It, it was a little more a soft, uh, easier to drive, softer ride, things like that. And we got what we call the straight leg models, which is like zero Bradley suspension. It's just track over road wheels and it's lower to the ground. It's bumpy, it's hard. And these things are old. I mean, these were Amtraks that were not used during Desert Storm, but were available at that time. And so I was like, wow, you know, we're getting all this old equipment. And now they start issuing us our mop suits and they're, they're all cami green in the middle of the desert. Yeah. So we got green, we got green mop suits. We got green Amtraks. Actually, my vehicle in the platoon was the only tan Amtrak, and I was the first one. Uh, we were 101, so we we led the convoy. So it was like, well, now I'm in the vehicle that's sticking out like a sore thumb. We got all green mop suits, and we didn't have enough sappy plates for everybody. And so we had to give up a sappy plate, you know? So we only had one sappy plate. So we had to choose the front or back, you know, which one, which one do you <laughs> want to have? And so it just, um, you know, all soft top Humvees. Mm -hmm. it, it, it felt like a very, like, like last second road trip that you go on, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> grab the beers, grab the water, grab some freaking jerky. We're going, we're doing this, you know? And so, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I was, I was confident in the situation primarily because it's just the U S military with the greatest and most powerful in the world, um, perhaps in all of history. But at, it was still a little weird, you know, just uh, being this lightweight mechanized force that was literally designed to, be surrounded at any given moment you know there was times in during the invasion that we we outran the log train by like two weeks you know and we had to just hold in place and wait for logistics to catch up you know we had to go you know uh, in uh in boot camp the marine corps you have um the crucible and you know you get one M mre a day sort of thing and uh, that was literally like what we were at we were going down to half mres a day and things like that and so it was it was uh everything I guess I expected an invasion to be, you know, minus the green yeah. monsters. But um, it, it was it was a unique experience, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, really. Right, um, and and I always say too, like for um, I don't know how it is now. At least my last tour was in 2013, 14. But in those earlier ones, when you don't have anything, I yeah. think it really attributes to you learn who you become. Yeah, you know, like you learn what you can endure, and then you're grateful for a lot more things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um having nothing basically yeah. you know because you're you're literally almost like in survival mode for the most yeah. part because you're waiting for resources or if the or if the or if the air or the roads go black mm -hmm. and for those who don't know that means there is zero transportation no one's going anywhere it means either black so if you're out there on black roads you're you you can't go back to the base either no. so you're you're stuck yeah and you have to wait because that means the, the zone is too hot yeah, yeah. Um, that what happened to us was we were on a flanking mission around this 
um, town called Anezaria. And that was the first major, well, I shouldn't say first major battle, but one of the first major battles of the invasion. It had, uh, it was a strategic strong point because it had two bridges on it um, covering the Tigris and Euphrates, um, which coincidentally, biblically, the, uh, the Garden of Eden is where the Euphrates and Tigris meet up. And so there's this, this thing of like the Marines in the Garden of Eden sort of thing. And so it, there were some serious issues there, um, some serious resistance. And we went on this large like flanking maneuver around it. And we, I, I don't remember the term black, you know, uh, like you were saying black roads or whatever, um, because I was just a lonely E2, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, were, we were definitely out there and completely like cut off like without a doubt we were completely cut off and uh it, it it tests your metal you know your mental and physical metal it's like uh it's something that you can't get anywhere else in in in, in a lifetime really it's a very unique experience and i'm glad i had yeah. it even though it was tough it was definitely worth it right because then you learn what you you learn what you can do and you learn to push yourself so it's like and i always revert back to when there's something going on i was like well my i always attribute the first deployment because that's when literally there was nothing and we took over an abandoned fruit factory and we had to literally do everything ourselves. Oh, the yeah. plumbing, we, yeah. we made holes out of doors. We shared one big open room. Uh, our poncho liner was yeah. a door because we didn't have doors. So <laughs> like we, I mean, you, you learn how to, and then you, you're put in a whole place with a whole bunch of other people who have these craftsman skills mm -hmm. where now you're learning like through all my tours, I learned how to do electricity even though I learned for me doing electricity, it's only going to work if I shock myself. If I don't shock myself, it doesn't work. And yeah. that's a proven fact. And people who, who watch and know, they're like, oh, yeah, Castillo has to shock himself for things to work, you know. But uh, I, you learn a whole bunch of things. Yeah, um, And then uh, it, it's just it's one of those, like how you were saying, it's a really unique experience for that. And a lot, a lot, a lot of people don't understand that. But there's also stuff that come with it too, that aren't so great, you know, and you don't really understand how that works, especially if you spend time in the military when you come back. So you, you kind of stay in that environment and you, and you kind of just keep on going, but uh, nothing really, I guess, takes into effect until you get out. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to identify those things while you're in, then it's a little bit easier. But like for me, I didn't, mm -hmm. I just kept pushing on and just, buried myself into work to yep. suppress all that stuff. Yep. And then, well, and I got out, everything crashed and then blew up like a volcano. Yep. Um, but for you, how was, uh, how was your transition? Like for mine, like how I always tell the viewers here, mine was very dark and that'll be one time where I'll talk on here myself about my transition, but um, this is for you here. Uh, mm -hmm. So how was your transition going from the Marine Corps to deploying and kind of that go, go, go to yep. civilian life? How was, mm -hmm. how did that turn about? You know, it, it, I, I think of it like uh, a freight train, you know, your, your, your momentum in the service is like a freight train and then the, the, the engine stops and then you got all this ass behind you and it all just kind of hits <laughs> at once, you know, and that's kind of what EAS is like. And at least it was for me um, in 2006, there wasn't much infrastructure that the um, VA didn't really, you know, I was a part of that first wave of combat that's getting out and the VA didn't really know how to handle us. You know, we, we went through all the screenings, PTSD, TBI, uh, you know, all, and, and at that time it was like, you know, here's a, here's a sheet with all the symptoms that you feel like you might have. Here are the prescribed medications for that. Just go through and check what you want. And it was literally like an open <laughs> pharmacy for me. And I, I was like, 
I mean, I yeah, of course, you know, it's like, well, this is this is cool. I could get a b- bunch of meds, but at the same, time, I pushed it back. I was like, I don't want this, you know. I, I I want to I want to feel whole again, you know. I don't want to just like dump medication into this hole, this void that I feel, and hope that it somehow fixes things, you know. And so. Right. Um, the, the the transition was a bit rough, you know. There wasn't really much infrastructure. Um, I, I feel like the VA's mo was to assign a zero percent disability for everything. Uh, they didn't want to. They didn't want to acknowledge anything that we had done, really. And so I found myself really struggling, like most vets do, um, especially at that time. And you know, like you said, I, I buried myself in work. You know, I, I I attacked school like nobody's business. You know, I got in there and I was doing like 19 credits a term. I was just like overloading myself as much as possible. Not only doing 19 credits, but then also helping my parents run um, their retail shop, which was actually airsoft guns. Like if you know airsoft at all, it's kind of like paintball. Um, but these were the high end guns. And so mm-hmm. that was, I, I mean, it was a good experience in terms of on the business side learning small business management but at the same time you know transitioning into a retail room full of guns i mean i never really got out of that mindset you know that 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 military mindset that warrior mindset and it, like the aggressiveness was didn't go away you know it actually probably amplified more because then i started meeting other veterans other combat veterans coming in that were interested in airsoft and all of a sudden we're we're, we're forming these groups and we're training you know, we, 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 just because we EAS'd, we were still like setting up glass houses, doing room sweeps, you know, doing mm-hmm. some serious force on force that got, you know, um, intense at times, you know, there, I, I probably learned more about Mount and CQC, CQB after I got out and met all these other veterans. And then all of a sudden this collaborative space started to form of like uh, combat, you know, it's like, I, I didn't really get that collaborative space from all these different branches and agencies but then all of a sudden i meet all these other vets and we're just like so i I probably was even feeding into um the aggressive mindset you know and it and Mm -hmm. it it, there was this delay in terms of like recovery and and coming back to center i guess you would say um because we're just feeding into our own kind of aggression and so um this lasted probably from 2006 when i eased till 2014. I, I feel like 2014 was the year for me that kind of, I wouldn't say everything kind of came down, but it was the year that I really started to reflect and look back on who I was, what I was trying to do, where I was going in life, what I was trying to do with my life all at the same time. And so um, it, it was a long process, you know, that's eight years that it took to recover from a four year active duty stint. And so yeah guys like you that do a full 20 or you know do a, do a long career in the military that transition i can't even imagine that you know that that's got to be tough and that's what i'm trying to do here with you know dauntless and then also the vineyard and agriculture side of things is is pr- provide that kind of space and that outlet for veterans looking for alternative therapy methods you know not everybody wants to do drug or not do drugs but like get, <laughs> get drugs from the va and then and then uh, you know go through the the traditional like therapy sessions and things like that um being around like-minded individuals in a calm calm environment i think is huge and that a lot of veterans could benefit from that so 
my transition definitely was rough and bumpy. You know, um, a lot of toxic relationships came and went out of it. Um, I am fortunate that I was able, I, I had enough kind of introspection to identify those, even though I was struggling. I was like, I need to get these relationships out of my life. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I went down the path that I did because it made me who I am today. Um, but still, it was, it was bumpy to say the least. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, one of the other guys I had on here, uh, his name's Jeff. He's a rapper, uh, Soldier Hard. He asked a, a question on Facebook that if you can go back in time and tell your younger self one thing, what would you say? Mm-hmm. And I said, for me, nothing. I wouldn't say anything. I would just nod my head and be like, you're about to learn a lot. (laughs) You know, because if you think about it, if you say, Oh, don't marry this person or make this decision, you just changed your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. You just changed everything. And now you don't even know, you don't get the experience or I like to say, you don't level up because (laughs) you don't have, you don't have any of those hardships that you went through. Like, you know, like, so, and he was like, well, that's true. And so he, and that's when I was like, yep. I just look at myself and go, you about to learn today, you know, like that's, that's what I'm yeah. going to say. And I'm going to yeah, nod yeah. my head and walk yeah. away. Like yeah. I ain't going to say Crazy. nothing to my, yeah. to my no. younger self. No. It's, yeah. You know, no. just like stay the course. Yeah. Take Everything that good or bad. Yeah. 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 Don't try to control it. Just go on. Hang on. Go for yeah, the ride. Just, just go for the ride. And I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be engaged to the, the, the best person I've ever been with. Like I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have none of that if I would just go back and be like, no, you need to go that, that way. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, like, don't go that way, go this way. Then everything would be different. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's actually a good point that you brought that up. Some, sometimes I think back and like, oh, maybe I should have, if, if I could go back in time and tell myself what to do differently, you know, pick an MOS like that I could easily transition into a job with like electrician mm-hmm. or aviation mechanic or, you know, something that has a real, like a, a hard skill in the civilian world. I mean, amphibious assault is not something you can find a job on, you know, too too regularly. So, um, I, I I don't even think I'd say that, you know. I, I think the just the the person that I am today, the met, testing my metal, the way it was tested, was is very important um, for people to to do yeah. at some point. You know, that trial by fire that we all talk about. Um, not a lot of people get that, and I think that is probably one of the underlying issues for society as a whole. Is like especially for men in particular, um, if, if, if they don't test, if you don't test your metal, you don't know what you're made of, you know, and you're always questioning and wondering and like, so um, I'm glad that I did what I did. Right. And it's like, and when people like say also that, oh, that even with, with this is aimed particularly towards combat jobs, that they don't transition to civilian life. And I, I at first believe that, but then I disagree because I was by trade a field artilleryman. That's what I did. Now, there's no artillery pieces laying out in the middle of the road or in an open field ready yeah. to blow up some some neighborhood or nothing like that. Yeah, but, yeah. but what I can say is what artillery taught me was is, and, that, and I'm, a lot of people can agree, the artillery community is the most squared away and most organized organization yeah. in the army. Yeah. Like you can be the like the person that is not so bright, box of rocks, but you will be the most organized person in the group. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what they they taught organization skills. They taught management. Right. I mean, so all that stuff transitions over to the civilian side. Yeah, just because I don't have a name like oh, like a electrician or project manager, but no, but I can organize just as good as one. 
I can schedule just as good as one and I can manage and lead like no other because that's what the combat jobs teach you to do. Yeah, they teach like you that. how to lead people at a very young age. I was leading people at 19 years old, yeah. leading people. Yeah. Most 19 year olds are in college. Yeah, exactly. You know, or at their parents' house. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like, so it's like, and then I'm not knocking them. I mean, that's just yeah. their their route. I'm not saying that they're bad or they're lacking skills. It's just we are people like you and me are fortunate to to get those skills at an early age on how to manage people, how to lead people. Because I know that with your winery now, that because of being in the Marines, and I know you had to make some decisions while you were deployed, especially after leading a few people, one two people, has, has helped manage. And, you know, give direction to to your business. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, that's why we are completely focused on helping veterans, not only through donation and all of that, but bringing veterans in because we're all part of the same mindset. You know, we all have that can do attitude, that adaptability to a situation. I'm not. Like all of our tasting room associates are all vets. One has a purple heart. Leanne uh, is a major in the Air Force. We got another uh, Russian linguist in here. And so it's like all these different mindsets come together and it's like, uh, it, it provides a great working environment because it's like, we're all kind of just on the same page of understanding. And if, mm -hmm. there's, if there's an area where somebody's lacking or needs help, Nobody's afraid to ask, you know, there's not this like weird pecking order sort of thing in, in, in corporate life. Um, so everybody, it's like, we, we all know what the commander's intent is. You know, yeah. I, always, I always like talk to people about, you know, how I've gotten to this point today. And, you know, um, I always say, you know, business plans are great, but plans only survive until first contact. You know, you gotta have this intent, this intent to succeed. And what is the mission? What is the overall mission that you wanna accomplish? Mm -hmm. You know, forget A and B and all that different stuff. That, that, that's great and dandy on paper, but when the rubber hits the road, you know, you gotta be able to adapt. And um, I think that is probably one of the biggest things that I got out of the Marine Corps and the military in general is just that, that flexible thinking. That ability, mm -hmm. Like you were saying, you know, in your fob or whatever, you, you got to become an electrician all of a sudden. You're just thrown <laughs> into a working party. Okay, you're an electrician today. Go figure it out, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah so. I learned electrician. I learned how – I learned carpentry. We yeah. built a big-ass sun deck with chairs. <laughs> and later on, another deployment, yeah. like – there was so many things. And and I like what you said. I actually wrote it down. It says, uh, you know, every plan is good until first contact, because if you notice when you train, you train for all these scenarios. Yeah. And then when contact happens, it is none of those things you trained on. Mm -mm, never. None. We, you just try to predict, oh, yeah. what if this, 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 and this happens. But then it's that one engaging scenario that you didn't plan for because you can't plan for all of them. And that's how life is. Like oh, you yeah. can only plan so much for life and you can have different avenues, but there's always going to be that one that's going to be like way over there. And you end up on that freaking road instead yeah. of all these other ones you plan for. Exactly. exactly. And then you kind of just got to go in uncharted territory. And I didn't even know you mentioned uh, Leanne. I did not know she was a major in the Air Force. So oh, yeah. to my yeah. army brain, she really doesn't do anything then. She just <laughs> sits there and goes... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope you're not listening here, to me. <laughs> they come back. I'm drinking coffee. Give me yeah. five minutes. You know, like... Yeah, I, know. She's, uh, I, I hope she's, she's not mad at me. I'm no. just kidding. No. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no rank in the tasting room. That's what we talk about, you know? So I, I lock her on all the time. You know, I got my knife hand still. And so sometimes, no. She's, she's that, great. She's great. That's awesome. So for... um, So as we, as we keep on moving here, uh, so how did the winery come up? Like, was it your idea? Like, and I want to go from the beginning. Like, what brought the idea? How did you get the name? What's the meaning behind the name? Yeah. Location? Like, 
all that. I want I want everybody to know what's 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 behind your your yeah. or as you could say your commander's intent behind. Yeah. Well, we got that, but the mission behind it and what was the driving force? Oh yeah, so um, I mean the 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 absolute kernel for this whole idea. If you go back in time, was in two thousand eight. Uh, this is part of that whole transition where I am meeting a bunch of veterans kind of centered around airsoft. And I met a lot of interesting international veterans too. I, uh, IDF special forces. And there is this, also this one guy, um, his name was Matt. And I don't even know if that was his real name or not, but he was a, um, French foreign legionnaire, an American French foreign legionnaire. And his story was pretty incredible. And I was enamored with this guy. I, I mean, uh, we, we had a friendship for maybe six to eight months, you know, before he just disappeared. Um, but he was having a really hard time transitioning out of service. And the VA wouldn't touch him because um, they don't recognize his, his service as a French foreign legionnaire. And all legionnaires have this problem. They're all le foreigners that go to France to serve. And when they go back home, they have no support. They had because their service isn't recognized in those in their home countries. And so he tipped me off to this idea that, well, the Legion has this chateau in France and they've had it since the fifties. And the Legion identified this problem of Legionnaires transitioning and kind of getting, going back to civilian life in their home countries. Um, and a lot of them are having a hard time that they built this vineyard and winery in the fifties uh, for Legionnaires to go back to live on the property, grow grapes, make wine and rehabilitate and be with their brethren again. And he was actually thinking about going back and doing this. And then he told me about this in 2008. And then he was also talking about like trying to get some private contracting jobs. And he asked me if I was interested. And he's like, yeah, we have to fly through Israel. You might be labeled a terrorist, but you're going to make, make some good money. And just like all this crazy shit. And I'm just like, Matt, I don't know if that's the greatest idea right now. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my wife or girlfriend at the time. But, um, but <laughs> he, he disappeared. But that, that's where that kernel like came in. And it wasn't until 2012 when you know, the, the Occupy movement was really a big thing. And I went downtown just to see what it was all about. And I met this other group of veterans and they, we, we kind of looked at the Occupy thing and like, this is kind of silly. Let's, let's go. And we, 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 we kind of stuck together and we started meeting once a week in a, in a bar and just talking about the issues we were having, the issues that face veterans and all these different things. And we kind of came to the conclusion that, we needed a farm for, you know, whatever we, we needed to build this resilient community, um, build around food security primarily, and then also kind of look at farming and in that case, permaculture as an alternative therapy method, because there's a lot of studies that show that the tactile touch of soil is good for PTS or TBI in terms of like the actual physical touch. And then, um, there's probiotics in the soil that can actually help regulate mood and mitigate PTSD and depression at the same time. And then just being out in the sun and getting vitamin D and all of that. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of different things that therapeutically agriculture is good for. And so we, we, we started this pilot project. We we're aiming to start a nonprofit and it was going to be centered around permaculture, which is like a holistic farming method that like, it's like, um, organic farming 2.0 sort of thing. And yeah. So, um, needless to say that, you know, that I, I, I was kind of, um, I was in the professional world at the time. I was doing a lot of marketing and advertising. I was kind of in the agency life. And so I was kind of an odd man out in this group in terms of like socioeconomics, but I was advising them on like, you know, uh,
You so you got me there? Okay. Yep, there you go. Uh, this idea <laughs> this idea existed with the French Foreign Legion, and it's a proof of concept that al that has already been established for veterans. And you know, you dive in deeper into the history of viticulture and veterans, and you find that Roman Legion land and mo most often they're planting vineyards or planting olive orchards. And that was the kind of original therapy. Is, is farming for soldiers. And it, it existed all the way up until World War I. Like land grants were given to veterans to kind of decompress in a, in, a, in a way. And it wasn't until World War II when the Montgomery GI Bill came out that we started pushing veterans into school and business and all of that, that we kind of stepped away from agriculture as a therapy method. And so um, I, I, I approached them and said, hey, you know, we should maybe look into viticulture. We're in, a, we're in the premium wine region here in the Willamette Valley. Um, Pinot Noir is one of the, 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 the most, the highest quality of wines considered by a lot of different people in the industry. And so maybe we should look at doing this. And none of us had experience in viticulture. None of us had experience in winemaking. The idea, they kind of scoffed at the idea and said, oh, we, we can't do that. It's cost prohibitive, which it was. I mean, we didn't have money or anything like that. It's just an idea that I had. And so, Needless to say, the idea died on the vine, you know, in 2012. It was like, okay, that, we'll just kind of shit can that and move on. Um, <laughs> the, the project fell apart and we all kind of went our separate ways. You know, I stayed in contact with a few of them. And it wasn't until 2014 when I was wine tasting with the two other Marines um, that helped me start it. Um, we were in Walla Walla wine tasting on kind of a, a couple's weekend sort of thing. And uh, you know, we're five wineries deep and the idea comes back out, you know, <laughs> it's like, Hey, this, this is a great idea. I mean, we, I mean, sauced maybe a little bit, whatever. We was, we're all, we're, we're being responsible. And the idea came back out and. Oh, froze again. Uh, you're frozen again. He's extra frozen. Oh, oh there, there, there we go. Are we, are we good? There you go. Okay, sorry about that, everybody. It's, no, you're good. Um, so, yeah, after and, and we decided to do it, and that's kind of where our name came from, is that we had no prior experience in winemaking, no prior experience in agriculture or viticulture. <laughs> we just we're going to dive in and do it, you know, adapt and overcome, figure it out. And that's what, that's kind of where, yeah, one facet of our name, but also the dauntless, that, that unwavering, not, you know, um, not being scared, um, all of that. It also fits veterans as well, you know? So it, it's yeah. just kind of whole, it's a very holistic name. Um, but so 2014 came around, we decided we were going to do it. I immediately enrolled in the wine studies program in Salem, um, at Chemeketa Community College, which was a great program. Um, I enrolled in both the vineyard uh, management and winemaking um, because some, we had to make the wine. You know, there was, it was cost prohibitive just to grow grapes and sell grapes. And so, um, yeah, I started volunteering at the closest vineyard to my house um, just to get my feet wet, just to understand the process. Uh, it was my, we were kind of doing a, a like or in-kind agreement where my labor would be free if we could like use their cellar space to get bonded as a winery. Um, so, I mean, it was just really like, like we were talking about adapting and overcoming our, our, our original business plan was to 
buy bulk wine, like Shiner's, do a white label, and then just kind of buy and sell and test the brand. And, you know, even though there wasn't much margin in that, it was just kind of to pilot the project a little bit. Um, but soon as we, as soon as we got into that winery there, uh, we met the neighbor next door from Jesse Estate Vineyards and it just so happened. And this is small world shit that like only, you know, just strokes of luck sort of, you know, uh, he happened to be related to one of my partners through marriage and we didn't know that. And it was just just weird, this weird coincidence. And he was like, it it was harvest was coming up and he had these three-year-old vines, this neighbor that nobody was going to buy. The fruit was just going to rot on the vine. And he said, go pick as much as you want from that block, you know, just to, as, as a courtesy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we were able to get eight tons off the vine and that's how we got started. And, and it was wow. just like, we, we were not planning to make wine in 2015. None of us knew how to make <laughs> wine. I had just started the program in viticulture, not even winemaking. And so I was like, well, shit, now we got to learn how to make wine. And so like, I'm on YouTube, I'm trying to figure stuff out. I, I don't even know what fermentation really is, you know? And so, <laughs> and so it, it was, it was an adapt and overcome scenario. You know, the, the 2015 vintage was definitely very raw and expressive of that vintage, but um, it, it was, it was a great learning experience that we couldn't have got anywhere else. And, you know, my, my partners at the time were like, oh, well, you know, maybe we should reconsider this because, you know, that's a lot of risk to maybe spoil, you know? And I was like, no, we got to do this. This is a once in a lifetime thing. There's no mm-hmm. turning back from this. We, we have to do this and figure it out. And if we don't, then maybe we're not cut out for this, but we're going to do it. And we did. And it just, that was the snowball that started against, you know? And then all of a sudden we're moving around. And in 2016, we got some great press from the local wine industry. Um, they, you know, because of our mission, they they made us persons of the year. And it's like all oh, of a sudden, all, the, all these things started happening. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I felt there's this kind of sense of imposter syndrome at a, a certain point right at the beginning, because I was like, I'm completely new to this. I don't have any experience. And all of a sudden things are just happening. And right. for me, that was a sign that I was on the right path. Even though I was dirt poor, still, you know, I wasn't making any money. I, 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 I was living paycheck to paycheck, basically on my disability and my benefits. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was something that I was like, I need to, I need to do this. I need to figure it out, and I'm going to adapt to the situation. And it's going to happen, you know. And I'm still kind of on that boat every day. It's like, is this thing really still go? Like, this is crazy that we've got this far just on sweat equity you know, without any outside investment or anything like that. So, um, I mean, I, I probably, I hope I answered all the questions. I was just kind of rambling there for a second. Yeah, no, you're good, man. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at now. It's, we're six years into it now. Um, we opened oh, now here in my taste, the tasting room here. Uh, we opened this up late 2018. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been, the snowball's getting bigger and bigger every year. We just purchased in 2020, my wife and I just purchased our uh, six and a half acres in Gaston, and that's going to be the home for our, our vineyard and then also our winery. So up up until now, I've been renting space from other wineries to produce our wine. So as a bonded winery, you can basically go into another winery and be what they call an alternating proprietor. So it's like, you know, multiple labels under one roof sort of thing. And so mm-hmm. that's what I've been doing. But now having our own home, um, it, it'll, it'll be a game changer for sure. For sure. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah, because now it'll be like your own instead of having like a label with a couple of other names. Now it's just yours. And that yeah. I think that'll be huge. When's that move happening? 
Oh, well, we've, my wife and I are moved up there right now. We, we're doing oh. the fifth wheel life. We're, we're doing a lot of excavation. There was some infrastructure already in, fortunately enough, but um, we're, we're now clearing a site for our house and then the winery. And then we're also getting the land kind of prepped for the vineyard as well. Um, and that's where the agricultural side of things is going to happen. And we're going to try to get as many veterans out there as possible. We're, we're working on, on the side, like kind of a side project, working on starting a nonprofit at the same time and getting veterans involved in farming um, through that nonprofit. So the, the, the way we got this property was through the USDA. You know, I couldn't qualify for a traditional loan in the sense because I wasn't really pulling a W-2. And so um, the only way we could do it was through the USDA. And they, they have these programs that are kind of um, aimed at helping veterans get into agriculture. And so... We took advantage of that. Uh, There's a lot of red tape, a lot of hoops. Um, we had to we had to kind of fight for it, but we got it. And th we're hoping that we can give veterans, well, th the education of our experiences, so they can go out and start their own farms as well. Because to qualify with the USDA as a first-time farmer, you have to have three years' experience in the crop of a similar size. And so um, they'll waive one year for veteran status or one year for school, but not two years total. And so by giving veterans that experience on our property, then they can go and apply to the USDA and start their own farms, whether that's vineyards or whatever else. So um, that's that's the goal for the nonprofit. nonprofit. It's been kind of put on the back burner because of COVID and all those other things. But um, we're going to rehash it actually next week and hopefully get that rolling as soon as we get our vines in as well at the same time. Right, that's pretty cool. And then what I'll do too is it, um, I'll, I'll I'll promote that as well because I'm a part of some veterans groups and then even some uh, Washington specific and Oregon specific uh, veterans groups. And uh, anyone who would be interested in doing that, I'll share that on there and say, hey, if you want to learn how to wine or start a farm, you need to watch this uh, podcast here and then get yeah. a hold of Donna's Winery and, and then take your own course of action there. So that yeah. way, because you, you want vets to help. So like I can push that out for you too. No, I definitely appreciate that. You know, we're, it'll be a while before the vines are mature, but there's always something to do on a property. Like for the last four days, my wife and I have been pulling scotch broom. You know, it's, it's a terrible freaking invasive plant, but uh, it, it's everywhere. And so that you can't really, well, you can spray for it, but we're trying to be holistic in our approach to farming. And we don't want that residual compound in our soil, you know, so mm -hmm. the best you got to manually pull it, you know? And so um, that's what we've been doing. And I think the battle's almost won, but it's just a small <laughs> stepping stone and it's a small piece in the whole puzzle. But it, it, building that puzzle is what kind of gives you that sense of accomplishment, you know? And farming definitely is, you know, uh, a project, a <laughs> lifelong right. project. Oh, I know. Because I've never farmed personally, but I, I just from what I've seen and I hear people like you and other people's talking, even my fiance, she's done farming stuff and had horses and things like that. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. It's not oh, just yeah. the, the you are you sun up to sundown. You are balls to the walls. And it's and if mm -hmm. you think about it, <clears throat> it's almost like that uh, operational tempo in the military. It's go, oh, go, yeah. go, 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 go. Yeah. And then sundown. You stop, except in the no. military, you don't stop. You <laughs> no, you don't stop. You got to go field day your parents or something. You know, it's just it's like when the sun's yeah. down, you unfortunately have to stop doing stuff outside. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. 
No, it's true. And uh, the veterans are well suited for agriculture. They know hard work, attention to detail, long hours, um, you know, stressful conditions, dangerous conditions. I mean, farming is not necessarily the safest thing in the world, and especially mm -hmm. viticulture on a side of a hill. I mean, on a tractor, that that's dangerous territory there. So um, it is definitely something that veterans are cut out to do. And the problem with well, our food security in America is, in general is that the average age of the farmer in America is 58 and nobody's replacing them. Kids aren't taking over farms anymore. Nobody wants to do that. It's not mm -hmm. glamorous. It's not, you know, it's not good for Instagram, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but nobody's doing it. And so veterans, there's this call of service that exists that veterans need to be aware of to to secure food production in America you know we can't continually expect to import agriculture and so um small scale agriculture builds resilient communities and i feel like that's something that america needs right now in a very kind of um you know desperate way for life right for sure totally yeah. cuz they you know, they they're the everyone's quick to say oh i got this from a local farm but no one wants to help the farm. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm of it too. This is that's not my skill craft because my calling is somewhere else. But like yeah, for those yeah. who love the farms and have the potential to do it, you know, we'll 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 be. Oh yeah, I support local farms. But then it's like, well, oh. well, do you do you though? Like, do, I mean, the perfect candidate for some doing something like this is somebody who is interested in gardening. You know, yeah. like gardening is the stepping stone. <clears throat> kind of the gateway into agriculture as a whole. So if you find an affinity for gardening, then you might find that you're cut out for war, or sorry, gar yeah, gardening, then you might find that you're cut out for farming. Um, so I would, anybody that's into farming or growing their own produce, even on a tiny micro nano scale, um, might consider getting into a farm life in one way or another. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, that's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> so, as we uh, go ahead and start to wrap this up here, uh, and always what I like to do with the with the podcast is uh, for you, Ben, for veterans listening and even people who aren't veterans. Well, what's one message you got for the vets out there that if you can tell them that if they were kind of listening but not really listening, and it's more like, hey, I need your attention right now. Yeah. You need to listen. You yeah. know, what 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 do you got for them? You know, hold hold true to who you were. Um, don't forget where you came from, but also look to the future. Um, be able to adapt to the situation because civilians aren't necessarily going to meet you halfway. You need to be able to Oh, snap. Froze again. <laughs> so yeah, right at the goes. most pinnacle part. Uh, yeah. Adapt and overcome. I mean, really, that's it. Adapt. Don't get locked into this mindset, into the past, survivor's guilt or whatever guilt that you may be harboring. Let it go. I know that's easier said than done, but but look to something that um, can build community and give you a sense of purpose again. And I feel like that's the most important thing is that sense of purpose. Um, and whether that's farming or you know doing a podcast or uniting veterans one way or another, um, raising awareness. There's a lot of different things that could be done. Um, right. but finding that sense of purpose is the most important thing that any veteran transitioning out can do. Perfect. That's like, that's like the most perfect message. Everyone who comes on always has a perfect message and is different. And it's, yeah. and if you listen, everyone says the same thing, but they put their own spin on it, which is great because 
sometimes it takes us two or three times mm -hmm. to hear something in a different way for it to actually stick in your head, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and I think you, you said that perfectly. So uh, I wanna thank you for coming on here and talking mm -hmm. and sharing your story. And for those people who are interested in, wine, in winery, farming, or anything that has to do with this industry, you can find them. Their website is here in the, in the description of this video. Uh, there's Dauntless Winery. You can look them up on Google. And they're in, uh, where is it, Gaston? Yeah, well, our, yeah, Gaston is where our operation is going to be in the near future. Um, our tasting room is in Forest Grove. It's basically 30 to 45 minutes west of Portland. Okay, there, so. so there you go. So for you local guys in Oregon, uh, go check them out. Go take a stop in their tasting room, try some wine. Uh, try a glass for me. Let me know how it is. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll yeah. sip coffee while you do it. Hey, you know, um, uh, so I appreciate you coming on, Ben. I, I thank you for your message and what you're doing for veterans. It's important, you know, as it comes down to it, the veteran community has to stick together. Uh, as you see, it's, it's not an easy task or uh, thing to try to go through. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then, oh, there's Leanne. She said, we are open tonight. Come see us four to seven. <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh. she is listening. Yeah, she is, she is. She, see, that's yeah. that Air Force stuff right yeah, there. She's in her, know, she's in her big fancy chair with her coffee time bottle. <laughs> yeah. We're open yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Leah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on. And then she set this up. So I also uh, appreciate her for kind of setting this up and connecting because she sought me out. So yeah. I do appreciate her for setting this whole thing up. And I do hope that my fiance and I can go down there and just say hi to you guys and say thanks for for what you guys do and stuff like that. So I'm hoping I, to be able to make a like a non-alcoholic beverage in the future for you. You know, I'm actually I, that's another realm that I'm kind of dabbling in as well. So that, that'd be pretty yeah. neat. If not, just have coffee. My fans yeah. and I love yeah. coffee, and yeah. where she's a coffee enthusiast and is very particular about coffee. So. Uh, you can uh, work on the coffee thing too. Oh, you can have uh, yeah, winery I've, and coffee. <laughs> I've, I've done some like cold brew stuff. Um, I'm actually really interested in cold brew on nitro. Like we have a tap system here. And so it's like the whole nitro thing I really enjoy, especially infusing flavors during the cold brew process. I mean, we're kind of getting off track here, but uh, yeah, it's, no, something good. That's on my mind. it's something that's on my mind. You know, you might yeah. see it Dauntless Coffee. Who knows? You know? No, pretty cool. Um, so again, uh, I appreciate you for coming on, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next week because next week I got a guy. He's actually he's going to be my first like uh, psychiatrist veteran, so that's going to be wow. kind of neat. So he's, yeah. he yeah. sought me out, and he's going to give his like clinical stuff, and you know who knows? I've never this is that'll be an interesting one. So you might you, you want to tune in next week for that one because it's going to be some good info and like a, like a, like how I copy State Farm, you know. You know, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you, you might learn a thing or two because you're seeing a thing or two on here on this podcast. So, sure. I appreciate. Oh, shit, I broke my pen. I appreciate <laughs> everyone for coming and uh, thank you for tuning in. And Ben, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Uh, oh, hold on, my my fiance just wrote. She just said yes, nitro brew coffee with smiley faces. <laughs> Look, you got one client yeah, already. Already, already. You got Man, one. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's do it. there you go. So you got one. Okay. Uh, perfect. But again, no. thanks for thanks for coming on, everyone. Thanks for watching and tune in next week as we talk to the doctor. Well, that's what I'm going to call him. Yeah. So I'm going to call him the doctor. So uh, again, everyone, take it easy. Have a good day. Enjoy the sunshine if you're here in the Oregon, Washington area because it's finally sunny for a couple days. So, uh, and if you're in anywhere else, well, just enjoy your weather. I guess I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, you guys have a good day. Stay easy. Yeah.